G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The Christian church was not born while someone was preaching. It was born while people were praying. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We're going to hear about Jesus clearing out the temple of traders and customers, demanding God's house be a house of prayer. It happened on two occasions, as documented in some of the Gospels. Today, Pastor Jeff is looking at the account in Mark chapter 11. They're supposed to know this as a place of prayer. God wants to move, but He moves in response to prayer. So in a real way, God says, you first. This is Today with Jeff Vines and our message, Prioritising Prayer. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to this passage in Mark chapter 11. Uh, It's recorded a couple times in the Gospels, in the harmony of the Gospels, but Mark chapter 11. And just to get you ready for where we're going to go, some famous last words, okay? Famous last words. uh, They're not real. Some of them are more infamous than they are famous. For instance, James French. Now remember that last name, French, okay? James French, he was a convicted murderer. The day before his execution, called all of his cellmates together and said, hey guys, how about this for tomorrow's headlines in the newspaper, French fries. <laughs> so I told you some were famous, some were, I mean, come on. Thomas Grasso, this is kind of interesting. He was convicted, also a convicted murderer on death row. He requested that his last meal be SpaghettiOs. Now, SpaghettiOs are not the same thing as spaghetti. They're different, right? He didn't get SpaghettiOs. They gave him spaghetti. And his last words, I didn't get SpaghettiOs. I want the whole world to know. Why? (laughs) Does anyone really care? Joan Crawford, the uh, actress, she was on her deathbed. Her her, um, housekeeper began praying a prayer for her. And Joan Crawford's last words were, Dagnabbit, don't you dare ask God to help me. Man, I would hate for that to be the very last thing I said, wouldn't you? Uh, Bob Hope, the comedian, when his wife asked him where he wanted to be buried, he said, surprise me. (laughs) John Sedwick, uh, I like this story. He was a general in the Union Army, and he actually died in mid-sentence. And his mid-sentence was this, there's no way they could hit an elephant at that dis... Got it? (laughs) Some of you got it. My favorite one is, of course, I've used before, Voltaire said that the Bible would be eradicated and the name of Jesus will never be heard again. And of course, he died and they turned his house into a printing press that printed Bibles. And that's, that's interesting. And then finally, the rock star, Johnny Ace, some of you will know who that is. Uh, he was playing with a gun backstage before he was supposed to go on concert. And his last words, this gun's not loaded. See, that was it. These are not my last words. <laughs> But we want to relate to you certain segment of Scripture that has really had an impact, not just a little impact. Scripture has impacted all the way through, but a major impact on us that we just can't seem to shake 
that comes back again and again and again. And here's how that passage that leads to one or two lines goes. You'll find it in Mark 11. Here's the story. We're told that on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus enters the temple. And he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is not written, or is it not written rather, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, most of us growing up have seen photos or paintings of Jesus, right? One of my favorite, Jesus walking on the water. Do you remember that? It's quite famous. There's another one with Jesus seated and the little children coming around him in the scripture, let the little children come to me. There's another one that my friend Bill Kirshner, who was my first youth pastor in New Zealand, now is a campus pastor on the University of Indiana campus. He loves the one where Jesus has the lamb on his shoulders. My grandmother had this huge, huge painting on her wall. It was bigger than any other thing in her house. And it was Jesus standing at the door knocking, representing the passage in Revelation 3.20. And then my personal favorite is the newest of all of those. It's where Jesus is standing behind a defeated man. And the picture that you get is there's no way this guy can go on. He's lost all strength and all hope, but Jesus is still behind him, pulling him, lifting him up. But in your wildest dreams, could you ever fathom why God would put this passage in the Bible as if he really wanted us to know what happened on this day? Because there's actually three records of this. Matthew, Mark, and John record this, two different occasions, but three different gospels. Because I have no trouble seeing Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders or forgiving the woman who was caught in adultery or eating with the sinners or raising Lazarus from the dead. But when I think of Jesus physically emoting this way, it's hard to understand. I mean, can you see Jesus picking up the tables and throwing them on the side? Just kind of going through and clearing everything, taking the money and throwing it up in the air and everybody's trying to scatter and pick up what's left behind? That he physically stands in the way of those bringing in uh, the sheep or the goats or the cattle. He stands in the way and tells them, no, don't bring, not, not here, not now, not ever. Get that stuff out of here. That's not the kind of language, not the kind of action we think of Jesus doing. And folks, by the way, if you study the harmony of the gospels, you realize this is not the first time Jesus did this. We, we just read in Mark, but John 2 tells us that Jesus did it when he first began his ministry. So one of the first things Jesus did in his public ministry is to go into the temple. And the Bible tells us that he actually made a whip out of cords. So now that takes premeditation, doesn't it? I mean, he comes into the temple, he sees what they're doing, he's, pretty, he's angered over it, and he starts, to, he starts to take these leather strands. It takes a bit to build a cord, uh, to build a whip. So what's he thinking to himself? Oh, I'm going to get these guys. I'm tired of this, I've seen this all my life, but now I'm old enough and I'm going to go in here, I'm going to tell these guys and I'm going to drive them out. I mean, you just don't think of Jesus responding that way, do you? And then what, you know, what does he do? Does he make the whip? He turns and he says, what in the name of me are you doing? Does anybody get that? I thought that was funny. Or OMM, oh my me. You got it? Somebody got it. 
When I think of Jesus driving people out like this, you know, this is not the way Jesus is pictured in the New Testament. And then we're told that he returns again at the end of his ministry. So the beginning, then at the end, and he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. So it's a, a pretty important event. And along the way, he says to his disciples, wait here, got to take care of something first. Think about this. Before I go die on the cross, I got to go chase these guys out of the temple again. And you can think of the disciples saying, oh no, here he goes again. He always has to do this. And it's the famous saying, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And just keeps coming back to me in my ministry. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What's really interesting, historically speaking, is that the people who were there actually belonged there because there, were, there was no way to offer the sacrifices prescribed in the Levitical code or the law of Moses unless there were people on spot selling you what you needed to go in and offer sacrifice or, or to participate in some kind of celebration. So people were coming from miles and miles and miles, so you couldn't cart. I mean, it's not like they could just haul the U-Haul. Instead of bringing all these things from a long, long distance, they were available for purchase on site. So the goats and the doves, whatever they were selling for whatever ceremony, they had a right. They were supposed to be there, but they had a movie theater mentality, Right? You pay 16 bucks for a big Coke and a popcorn. Now, you would not do that any other place. But they got you, don't they? Because you know it's un-American to watch a movie without popcorn. And they know that you know that. So they're going to charge you like, I mean, what's the markup on that? A thousand percent, probably more than that. So some of you are like me. You stop at Target on the way and load up in the backpack, which you're not supposed to do. You know that, don't you? That's wrong. And you can't hide popcorn, really, and they know that. That's why they sell it. And then you go up to the counter, and I won't stay on this too long, but you go up to the counter, and they say, now you're getting a 32-ounce drink. And they say, for 50 cents more, you can have 64. Man, if you're drinking 64-ounce soda, that's a whole other sermon you need. <laughs> I mean, come on. So they gouge you. So that's what was happening in the temple. First of all, they were gouging the price because they knew it was convenient. You were going to have to pay it. The second thing they were doing, they were hitting them a second time with the exchange rate because you could not use Greek or Roman money. You had to exchange it for Jerusalem money to be used there, minted right there in Jerusalem. So you were paying uh, the airport exchange rate. You know, if you're going to exchange money, don't do it at the airport in case you didn't know that. So they're gouging the prices for convenience, and at the same time, they're, they're charging you an ungodly exchange rate, all because you've got people of purity of heart trying to do the right thing. So, so Jesus comes into the temple. He knows what's going on. He stands as a personal blockade and tells the Gentiles, stop doing this. Or sorry, the Jewish uh, marketer sellers, stop doing this. Folks, they were doing it in the courts of the temple. You're supposed to do it on the outside, but they were bringing their merchandise right onto the inside, which means that they were committing this kind of sacrilege. So Jesus comes in and his, this is his overriding message. My father's house is a house of prayer. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And all through my ministry, the spirit of God continues to remind me of that periodically. Because remember, a lot of good things were happening in the temple. Cleansing and purifying ceremonies, a lot like our modern day baptism. The proclamation of the word of God, a lot like our modern day preaching, the singing of hymns and psalms related to our modern day worship, the celebration of feasts like our modern day communion. But Jesus says, 
He wants his house to be a house of prayer. Preaching, yes, but it will be called a house of singing, yes, but it will be called a house of prayer. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're hearing about how prayer should be a priority. No matter what our circumstances or troubles, in all things, pray. Jesus demonstrated his desire for a house of prayer very clearly when he cleared the temple of those buying and selling. Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. So every summer when I was growing up, my mother would force us to go out and pick blackberries. You got the thorns and everything. And each, I had three brothers. We were required to fill a two gallon bucket each. And when we did that, we were, that's it. So you could either do it slowly like my younger brother did, or you could do it as fast as you could to get it over with like I did. We would get home. It was in the summer, obviously, before air conditioning. At least we didn't have air conditioning, which was ruthless. And my mom would open all the windows and doors and have the fans going in my hometown. This is the house I grew up in in Elizabethan, Tennessee. And she would pour all of those blackberries in, and then she would combine it with sure gel. They still do that. Sure gel is nothing but pure sugar. And then you would have this smell wafting out of the vine's house through the windows and the doors of blackberry jam. And man, she would make 50, sometimes 75 jars of this jam because she knew she was going to give a lot of it away to the neighbors. And as soon as those smells started wafting and uh, the aroma started going through the windows, all the little kids from the neighborhood would line up at the front door because they could smell it a mile away to get their free blackberry jam. Now, here's the thing. According To Jesus and the scriptures, God's house is supposed to have the aroma of prayer. The thing that is supposed to distinguish Christian people and Christian meetings, Christian gatherings, is the aroma and atmosphere of prayer. When people in our community, when they think of this place, they're supposed to know this as a place of prayer. And the reason is that God wants to move in the life of every individual, but he moves in response to prayer. Now, that's a whole nother sermon. You might say, why? It doesn't really matter why. What matters is this is what we're told. God wants to move, but he moves in response to prayer. So in a real way, God says, you first. If you ever notice in the book of Acts, the Christian church was not born while someone was preaching. It was born while people were praying. In Acts chapter 2, what were they doing? They were praying and waiting on God. They were praying and hoping and waiting, and Pentecost came. Now, preaching followed for an explanation of the gospel, but the church is born while people are praying. And the reason is, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and the disciples are beaten up. They're persecuted because they're preaching the name of Jesus. Now, what did they do after they were beaten up and tortured? Did they go out and protest? Did they take the matter to the Supreme Court? Did they try to get some political leverage? No. They go back to a prayer meeting and they say, God, give us courage to to speak the gospel in the face of death. Give us a boldness in spite of the threats that we're receiving. So that it appears that God's intentions for us are this. When in trouble, pray. When intimidated, pray. When challenged, pray. When sick, pray pray. When diagnosed with a terminal illness, pray. When persecuted, pray. When anxious, pray. When afraid, pray. Pray. 
And there's something special about our prayers according to Scripture. I had been in Africa for 10 years and now I was living in New Zealand. My mom passed away while I was living in New Zealand. And on one trip, I came back. This probably was six or seven years after my mom had died. And my father said, look, I want to show you something. I've been meaning to do this for a long time. So he took me back in the back bedroom and he opened up this chest. And in that chest was another box and it had my name on it. And he took out that box and my mother had kept every report card I had ever had in my life and every basketball clipping from the time I was five to the time I graduated college. She had kept all those clippings. And my father said on days she would miss you when you were in Africa. She would go and get that box and she would look at the report cards and she would just go through those clippings and she would cry, but she would also have joy. There was a time of remembering something that had happened in the past and somehow it drew her closer to you. Now, I use that example because the same thing evidently happens with us, our prayers, and God. And as I was doing the series on the book of Revelation about eight years ago, I came across Revelation 5, 8 that says this. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And you start thinking, what must prayer be to God that he keeps it in bowls? That he goes to God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and says, hey, read another one. Get those prayers out and let's read them. Let's remember a time when Jeff Bynes was praying. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 